Hello, this is Matt Bergman, and you are listening to the Punk Rock Libertarians Podcast, episode 236. I'm here tonight with Kyle Wagner. Hey, guys. And Chris Kofer. Hello. Chris, thanks for coming on. Sorry, guys, we've had some te- technical difficulties. This has been the third time that we've started up, but I think I've got it fixed now. But uh, so, Chris Kofer. So, uh, you know, I mentioned to you a while ago, I was like, hey, whenever you're in town, you know, hit me up and uh, we'll do a podcast. And you just hit me up, I think, on, uh, was it Wednesday? Yeah, it was just a really uh, last minute thing. Yeah, so we just threw this uh, bonus episode together last minute just because we just thought it would be like hella fun to hang out with you. Yeah, no, I've I've been looking forward to this when you mentioned it. uh, So background on on Chris Kofer. This is what I think of when I think of Chris Kofer. Like, uh, you've made how many like pages and groups um, with Kyle Wagner's name in them uh, or about Kyle Wagner? The main page is Kylosphere, and I actually helped shrink the Kyle phenomenon a little bit. There were four different groups. And I sort of consolidated them into um, into one, but um, anyway, there's actually two now. You want to speak louder and direct yeah, to the mic? Sorry. Yeah, sorry, um, no, that's good. Yeah, actually, I've I've got the main page, Kylosphere, and I've got uh, Kyle Wagner's Global Minarchy, which is like the the group to discuss all things Kyle and and minarchists and anarchists. Uh, it's just a small group, but you know. It's fun. <laughs> and then other people have made other pages, correct? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I think, um, well, the original page was uh, Shit Kyle Wagner Says. Uh, a friend of mine started that. I didn't know that my friend ran that page until after I'd started Kylosphere. And I, uh, when I found that out, I, I, you know, I made him a, an editor on my page, too. Um, there was uh, Steve Duckman's group, um, Kyle Wagner is a Goddamn Communist. That was a, kind of a seminal uh, anti-Kyle group. Um, so you said was, is that one not around anymore? It's still there, but nobody really goes in there. And, uh, I never, I never really see anything new posted. I don't think anything new has been posted in there in like at least six months. Um, so I guess, uh, it's not as popular as it used to be, but you know, it was, uh, it was very groundbreaking for its time. So would you say <laughs> that, would you say that you're a, a professional internet troll? No, I uh, <laughs> I don't get paid to do it, so I'm not. Um, okay, okay. But, you're not. So you're I, I an amateur, but I, you do a, a great job um, as an amateur. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> for open mic night, I do okay. <laughs> you know, but um, and then right now, like your whole deal is you're working on a documentary, correct? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I haven't been able to make as many Kyle memes because I'm busy working on this film. Uh, we're doing a, a documentary on anarchism called Monopoly on Violence, and uh, it's. It's been actually just over a year now since we started working on it, and uh, I'm here because uh, I'm interviewing a bunch of people all up and down the East Coast. Uh, our film was crowdfunded. Uh, we went to Indiegogo, and uh, you can actually still donate to it. So if you search for the Monopoly on Violence there, you can still order yourself a Blu-ray or something and still know that you're, you're helping make the film. But um, yeah, so that's, that's the basics of that. Yeah. Are you focusing on uh, anarchist uh, get, uh, speakers, or are you just talking to everybody in the libertarian movement? It's mainly anarchist speakers, like scholars. Like um, we've um, on the last trip, uh, I talked to Professor Michael Humer at uh, CSU Boulder. Uh, he wrote the book "The Problem of Political Authority," excellent book about anarchism. Um, the, I, I like to think we'll talk to somebody uh, either that represents the LP or that represents a minarchist position. Uh, it's just hard to find a person that's, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be hostile about that. Um, and I just don't know of as many minarchist scholars as I do uh, anarchist scholars. Like, have you talked to Arvind Bora yet? Uh, no, no, uh, we, he's not on the list. Oh, he's not on the list. Okay. No. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Of course, Arvin lives around here. He's been on the oh, show. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yeah. We, we maybe could have coordinated it, but, um, Anyhow, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, you could. Uh, have, how about Tom Woods or Robert Murphy? Yeah, actually, uh, we we talked to Robert Murphy at uh, Mises University, um, you know, Mises U, that little uh, thing that they have down there uh, in the summer, and uh, that was a good interview. And I'm going to be interviewing Tom Woods uh, in a few days uh, down in uh, in Florida. So it's funny oh, wow. he, uh, he lives like an hour from where I grew up. Okay. Yeah. Those would be two guys that I would think you would want on there. Maybe Robert Higgs as well. Um, Higgs is really hard to get a hold of. He lives in Mexico and he's kind of seeming, I guess, sort of semi-retired, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, Yeah, that's a good point. So, But I would love to talk to him. Yeah, I got into it with him on Facebook a little bit, and he <laughs> he blocked me, or or at least unfriended me, unfortunately. Oh. I think I, got a, I was a little too rude. Um, at the time, I just was... Uh, 
a little more in your face about it than I am now. About, about minarchy? Yeah, I've, I've mellowed out about a little bit. About people's consent not being required? Yeah, I, I was, you know, I was kind of blaming him a little bit. I was like, you know, you're a smart guy and you're a leader in this movement. And, um, you know, and you've chosen instead of to be a leader, you've chosen to like retreat to Mexico and just get away from everything. And I just was like, it's just escapism. And, and instead of being like, um, you know, like I said, a leader, either in the LP or, or even in the intellectual sphere, you've run away. And uh, I think it was it was too much. It was rude. And uh, I do regret saying that. But yeah, he unfriended me. Oh, wow. I'm surprised you were friends in the, uh, in the first place. Like, I didn't know that you like, when did you do that? I think I just sent him a friend request, you oh, know, wow. like, I mean, I was a fan at one point and, uh, it, it's not that he has nothing to offer. I mean, I think he's a smart guy. Um, I remember, you know, he, he, his thing was, uh, like incrementalism or, or, um, I'm trying to remember the name of his book, but he talks about how, like, when there's a crisis, I think it's crisis in Leviathan, yeah. right? So when there's a crisis, uh, it, it becomes an excuse for government to grow. Like 9-11, okay, 9-11 happens, and it's all of a sudden, oh, we need to expand inter- airport security. We need to uh, create the Department of Homeland Security. We need to go to war. So you look at all the stuff that happened as a consequence of 9-11. I mean, government just used it to, as an excuse to go hog wild. And, um, well, a lot and so of- he has a great point with that. You know, there's nothing, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, many, many of those programs uh, that were in the Patriot Act were things that were sort of sitting on the shelf for years. Yeah, uh, waiting for their opportunity, right. waiting for a time when there might be public support for increased spending on, um, you know, public surveillance, uh, security state, or for even a foreign war. Well, they needed the public to be scared enough for those things to be, to come to fruition. Yeah. And, and you look at like 9-11 and all of a sudden the ranks of your military swell because everybody's signing up. You oh, know, yeah. everybody wants to go uh, grab a gun and go get revenge on, you know, whoever attacked us. Meanwhile, they never even, you know, there was like no real solid invest- investigation. I don't think bin Laden, did he ever claim responsibility for 9-11? I, I think he said he didn't think, do it. Well, did he say he did it? I thought he said that he did, but then again... All of our news about that comes from like translated videos that were either translated by government uh, yeah. translators or media translators, and it's kind of hard to discern, you know, what's, good, what's true. <laughs> well, our media decided that he did it, and so that's the narrative that we live by. But um, you know, I think if he had done it, he would have been like, "Yeah, that was me." I think he was <laughs> supportive of it, but I, 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 my recollection is that he was kind of like, "I, I didn't do that," but. I mean, he, way I to go. I don't remember him like ever trumpeting it. Like you were saying, it's like, I would think that you would claim it even if you didn't do it. Cause it's yeah. like such a big thing. It's like, yeah, we've been, uh, cause he did try, you know, in what 98. Yeah, I think so. I think there was a prior, prior attempt, Yeah, but it was like botched. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I forget the whole story on that one, but you know, who knows? You might've had that, uh, post nine 11 era in uh, the Clinton years, if that had happened. Yeah, so um, I see. I saw you uh, talk to Ron Paul for your documentary. Yeah, that was great. We went down to. I uh, flew down to. We we're doing this uh, this movie in like several chunks of the, the trips. Like we're interviewing several people per trip just to make it worth our while. Uh, so we went to Texas, interviewed uh, first Stephen Kinsella, and then um, then Walter Block, and then finally Ron Paul. And uh, the Ron Paul interview was great. He's he's just such a personable. You know, guy, and he's just, oh yeah, and, and he's just honest, and he knows his stuff, and uh, he's willing to talk to anybody. Yeah, he's warm and genuine. I've always been super impressed with Ron. Um, I do not like Stefan Kinsella. I butted heads with him a lot in my group, and eventually he left, and I think blocked me. Well, I made a um, about that. Yeah, he, he's he's just very <laughs> rude and obnoxious. He's he's just not a good guy in my opinion. But um, how how'd that go with him? That went really well. He's actually very nice in person. And uh, one thing I'm discovering is that people that uh, I see as combative on Facebook are, um, you know, everybody's nicer in person. You know, it's like, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's different when, you know, social rules and manners kick in when you're face to face, for sure. I mean, but also I'm like on the same uh, wavelength as him as far as. Uh, yeah, you weren't arguing with him. My impression was that he would get um, very arrogant. You know, it was kind of like, do you know who I am kind of thing? And I'm like, yeah, you're not that big of a deal, you know, but he, he really thought. I like that, Stephen Kinsella, but he does have that little blue check mark. 
Yeah, he got his little blue check mark, and I think it went to his head. But he just, I don't know, he thinks he's brilliant. And in in debating with him, I would make points, and he, instead of, like, trying to counter my points, he would just start insulting me. Well, I mean, and he, I was like, this is, to me, I took this. did he graduate from, like, Harvard or something, or one of those, like, I don't know where he, I, maybe he did. I mean, but I just, if you're going to impress me, like, you got to you gotta bring it. Like, you can't just go right to the insults on Facebook if somebody makes a point. You know, to me, that's just devalues you as an arguer because it's like oh okay you're gonna call you're gonna start calling me a bitch and a nothing and a nobody instead of well, like I, actually I addressing what i said and i'm just like okay well I, I don't think this guy's all that he's cracked up to be i think with Kinsella too i think he, he does he does have a short fuse for arguing on the internet because yeah. i mean it's kind of like for instance like if he's going to argue about intellectual property He's just kind of got the attitude like, okay, just read my books. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like he's already said this shit like a million times. And anytime there's an argument about IP, he's probably got like, you know, 10 different friends tagging him in the comments to put somebody down, you know? I mean, so, maybe, but imagine. you still don't have to be rude about it. If you don't want to if you don't want to talk about it, just don't comment. You don't have to be a jerk. But that, that was how he was. He just was not, he wasn't nice. And, uh, you know, I... Like IP, you can argue it, it different ways. Like I just don't think it's as settled as everyone thinks thinks that it is. Um, you know, I've made the point before that everything that we have, even tangible things, uh, come they start at, with an idea and they start with and then you put the idea into action and you create something. But it, like it's really a product of your mind first and foremost. And I think I I didn't invent that point. I think Ayn Rand made that point that you know the mind is the, you know, the source of, of everything. Yeah. But I mean, she relied heavily on IP. She was an author. And at the time IP wasn't much of a discussion, I don't think. But, um, and as far as Kinsella, I was like, I'm, I was a little surprised that he was even in AVM because I feel like that's the kid's pool compared to what, you know, he's, you know, he, he's published and he's, uh, in a lot of things and they have him as speakers at, at events. And he, he, he understands the subject matter cause he works in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, okay, so then he should, be, that would mean he should be even more impressive in a small Facebook group. And instead, I got the Im impression that he was emotionally immature. So it was like, I, I just wasn't, I was never impressed with him at all, but I'm, I'm glad that he was nice in person. So, but, I mean, also, you may want to consider that that may just be his way of blowing off steam, like uh, shit posting or something, or um, pummeling some, uh, some minarchists. Maybe. Yeah, I, I never really felt like he pummeled me. I felt like he got frustrated and like rage quit. It, it was like arguing with a with a sixteen year old. I just was. I'm I'm not impressed with him at all, and uh, I'm sure he's not listening. But you know, you know, I, the guy's a loser. Sorry. Mm. That's harsh. It is harsh, but it is what it is. Like he br he brought it on himself. So um, yeah. Anyway, but you. Uh, it was it's cool you met Ron. Um, I saw Ron most recently about a month ago. He came to DC and did uh, the Peace and Prosperity Conference where they had a bunch of speakers and uh, shook his hand, got a, got a picture with him again. I have <laughs> I have a bunch of them, you know, like a collection. But um, it's always it's always a pleasure. And uh, I got to meet Natalie, um, who is like she works for the Mises Institute and was like doing all. She's done most of their memes. That, yeah, she she's like a graphic designer there. I'm in uh, one or two groups with her. Yeah, yeah, that was. Super cool so i was really happy to meet her and um i went with phil from the uh prl podcast so we had a great time you know and um, i'm trying to think who else was there that you might might know and anyway it was it was a good time cool so uh yeah you want to talk about uh talk a little bit about avm yeah yeah um avm was may have had a role in uh you know me deciding you know to now is the time to, to do a film, you know, just because um, AVM really started off, you know, as just this way for you to, to, you know, I guess, have the debate between anarchists and minarchists. And after a while, I feel like we just sort of realized we, realized we um, were butting heads, but we weren't really uh, changing many minds. And then the, um, the, the dynamic, the demographic of AVM changed a bit. A lot more leftists uh, came in and uh, that started changing uh, the conversation. And it also started changing people's minds. Yeah, yeah. Like to give people context, um, I was I was an ANCAP. Um, I was uh, involved with the Ron Paul campaign, and then I. You, you always say that, but do we have pictures? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are people that that um, 
will vouch for that. And uh, there's stuff posts on Facebook that I made where I was talking about privatizing police and things like that. Um, but somebody found one of your old comments one time from like three years before or whatever, like uh, JJ found it and uh, posted it. And, and uh, it had like that thing where it says, you know, how many years it's been. And we're like, wow. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I was in uh, ANCAP versus ANCOM debate group. <laughs> Uh, the original Michael Shank Shanklin has one now that's bigger, but I was in the uh, a smaller one. And um, after in 2015, I was reading Mises and I switched over to uh, Minarchism. And then all of a sudden, I didn't feel like that group was right for me anymore because I wasn't on either side of the fence there. I wasn't an anarchist uh, of either either uh, persuasion. So. Um, I don't know. I just felt like it was really important to spread the word that anarcho-capitalism or anarchy was the wrong path for our movement. And I became kind of a little bit of a crusader for minarchism. And my idea was to create a Facebook group to uh, shine a spotlight on this, this schism within the movement, because I could see very clearly that we had two large uh, factions who did not agree on um, uh, ultimate political outcome and that were basically spreading different things, saying different things. Things, spreading different messages and uh, I thought that the debate was really important so I created this group I added like I started with like 30 people that I thought that I knew from ANCAP versus ANCOM ANCAP so I didn't add any ANCOMs um, and I remember a couple of people were like what is this you know they weren't happy about being added or whatever but I promoted the group in some libertarian uh, on some liber in some other libertarian groups and, and just shared the group and said, Hey, join if you want. And then we had like explosive growth for the first couple of years. It went from 30 people to like 500, you know, to like 5,000 and then yeah. 10,000. So it grew into a fairly large group. We were up to 10,500. And, uh, I don't know if F Facebook changed the algorithms or what happened, but all of a sudden the growth essentially stopped and, uh, we've been treading water around 10,000 for the last three years. Um, I haven't done any any more promotion. Like when I was trying to share it around different groups, um, I was really aggressively trying to like grow the group. And once it hit ten thousand, or maybe even earlier than that, I was just like, eh, it's big enough, you know. Like I don't need this to be a thirty thousand person group. I don't really. Um, you know, I, I care, but it just was like, okay, it's it's fun. We're having fun. I'm getting yeah. to know people in the group, and um, you know, you see enough repeat comments that you get to know the people. And and as Chris was saying, uh, it kind of evolved over time. Um, I always took a laissez-faire approach to moderation, and I was like letting com communists in. I've let uh, neo Nazis in. I mean, there's been you would not, however, let Kylie Wagner in. Yeah, I, I, that's true. I didn't let Kylie Wagner in. I just felt like, I don't know, I probably could. But I, just the fact that it's a fake page based on me and it's like using my picture, I was just like, I don't but know. But you did allow Wild Kagner. I did, yeah. Uh, that was far enough away. But like Wild Kagner has his own. It's not my picture either. So anyhow, um yeah, like the, it's become a source for like communists. They they love it. They love trolling libertarians all day long. I don't know why they That's, they enjoy it show. so much. I mean, really, nobody is paying attention to communists. Like, think about it this way: they're not in their groups, really. You know, they're in in our group. Yeah, you know, uh, watching like trying to turn us into a show, and they're kind of successful a lot. You know, it's like you you've seen how the regulars do it. Yeah, they throw a bait out and then just watch everyone attack it. Yeah, it definitely is a, a magnet group for trolls, and um, I don't know. I've gone back and forth on it. I, I have banned people occasionally, but it's it's pretty rare. Um, sometimes I get really annoyed. Like uh, one or two times, I've gotten just so annoyed with people, and I've just like kicked a bunch of them out, and then I feel bad about it, and I'll let them back. I'll let th them back in, but like the worst trolls I've, have have been banned for several months. But even after like six months, I'm like, ah. Eh, bygones you know I, I and i let them back in so um i don't know the, the, the group has definitely turned into more of a capitalism versus socialism kind of group yeah um which i think is unfortunate because i think that the original the original theme is really good and really important and it's a good topic um and it's just that the communists post so much that it's hard to the group goes off the rails. It goes. It goes. It turns into us arguing about capitalism and for capitalism um, against these progressives and communists. Well, it's it's like a lot of uh, it's it's no longer posts that are against or for 
anarchy or minarchy, it's a lot of anti-libertarian stuff, like oh, yeah. anti-capitalist. Yeah, and some libertarians have actually been swayed, and they've gone that that direction. You know, they've yeah. they've taken the uh, the idea on that you know the rich are exploiting uh, the poor, and that capitalism is by nature a worker exploitation system, and uh, you know they don't like rent. We argue about whether rent is theft or not, and uh, they they see rent as being exploitation of people that are you know trying to live in a house and you're charging them rent right so um you know we have those debates in the group but uh, you know at the same time we're not really talking about ancap versus minarchism anymore yeah um and and i do think that's that's unfortunate also though i have i mean it's been four years almost four years and i i get i get a board of the topic right you know i think we've covered we've talked about every different political subject from both angles and been over it a million times i've repeated myself a million times so to a certain extent i enjoy something different and uh, I also use the group as a sounding board for when I want to talk about something political that normally a person would put on their wall. Yeah. I don't want to share it with my normal friends and family, so I post uh, political news in the group and share my thoughts on it. So I use it as a sounding board, and, and I enjoy that. I mean, that's that's the cool thing about AVM is that it's um, you know, it's a it's like a laboratory for political ideas, and um, you just it's not really for normies. Like normies don't last long in there or, or, or they end up just reverting to being lurkers. You know, they don't want to participate because someone will try to tear them apart. Yeah, very, very few people in the group seem to just be a normal Democrat or Republican. Right. I mean, even the title anarcho-capitalism versus minarchism debate group is is a very like, uh, what do you call it, esoteric kind of topic. It's I mean, not something that's going to attract a, a normal mainstream audience. I mean, it's not like I love puppies or something like that. Like you have to really be deep into libertarian uh, kind of theory to even find the group. So or for it to come up in a search for you as a recommended group. So it's just a very uh, niche interest. Yeah. But I also talk about like the LP in there and we talk about like LP candidates and the status of the party and things like that. So I don't know. It's a fun group. Uh, Chris has been, you know, one of the, one of the, my antagonists in the group um, over the years, he's made a lot of memes and, and things like making fun of me and stuff like that. Uh, he, tonight he gave me this gift. He, he gave me a pack of, uh, Kyle Wagner trading cards, which I thought was uh, pretty crazy. I knew these existed, but it's kind of weird to see them in person and be like, oh my God, these are real things. And they have like, uh, you know, like the first card is Stadies, you know, it's like a, a play on the Wheaties box. Hold it up for the camera. Oh yeah. Okay. Not that they'll be able to see it. There, you guys aren't going to be able to yeah. see this, but it looks like a Wheaties box with my face on it. and says, Stady's Breakfast of Authoritarians. <laughs> and uh, he, he's got, it's got all these like little details on it. Like the, um, I, don't, I can't even see that, but um, General Kills, you know, <laughs> like instead of General Mills, it's General Kills. On the back, it says, uh, Stady's is the cereal Kyle eats to give him the necessary energy to battle anarchists on the internet. Filled, <laughs> filled with authoritarian vitamins and pieces of actual law books. It's a great way to start the day, and we guarantee that government inspectors have improved it, uh, approved it. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know. When I made the trading cards, it was like I patterned them after regular trading cards, like baseball cards. Like when I was a kid, I had a lot of those. And there's always something, some text written on the back to tell you like about the player or whatever or, or what's going on in the thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, even other, other trading cards, um, like when uh, after 9-11, uh, Tops had a, like a, a desert uh, freedom or desert storm type of set. And they had uh, the Bin Laden card was in black and white and the rest of them were in color. And I remember, like, the CEO going on TV saying, like, hey, you know, we encourage, you know, kids, if they want to, to stomp on that card and, you know, ruin it. And I was like, that's, that's such an Emmanuel Goldstein moment. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. But um, yeah, one, obviously, well, there's other things that were uh, bigger news topics, so that doesn't really get brought up much. Yeah. So, I, thought, I mean, um, the T-shirts, uh, Vinnie Marshall made uh, Kyle <laughs> Wagner T-shirts, like, uh, that said taxation isn't theft. And then he had, like, the, Im the image of my head, like, kind of, like, made out to look like some um, some red China communist yeah, propaganda or yeah. something like that. So that was really shocking to me. And then uh, the trading cards and all the groups and pages and memes that have been spawned. Um, I don't know. I think it's the helmet and the goggles. I think it just creates this uh, very meme very memeable character. Well, it made it made you an icon. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, you know, a lot of people 
uh, in the libertarian movement were familiar with me before, like I've gotten people like, Oh my God, the Kyle Wagner. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just, you know, just a normal person, but there, it, it like, you know, created this mythology or this character that's, uh, this, you know, horrific status. And of course, you know, I still align mostly with like Ron Paul, you know, I don't really have any major disagreements with Ron Paul. So I've always taken the, I haven't always taken, but like, since I've been a minarchist, I'm like, yeah, we, we should cut spending drastically. You know, government should have this limited role in our society, but just because I've been so antagonistic toward ANCAPs, um, and really challenged ANCAP, um, theory i've become the villain i've become this villain in the, in the movement and uh, of course now kyle memes mean something entirely different right you know mainstream picked up kyle memes as being monster energy who you know hoorah extremist oh, yeah, guy yeah, yeah. you know what like i mean the term kyle yeah I mean, yeah the kyle, term kyle is a type yeah so now yeah i mean i feel like that's that, that's certainly dwarfed if you were to talk to a normal person if they had any inkling of the meme culture and talk about kyle memes like they would they wouldn't think of me they would think of the monster energy or, phenomenon or the area 51 stuff yeah is that kind of that's weird how the memes get incorporated into other memes yeah you know but i'm you know i'm gl i'm glad not to be the kyle meme like i i'm perfectly fine with uh monster energy kyle's getting their due no, no drywall punching for you. No, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty laid back in general, so it doesn't really make sense to, uh, to well, incorporate that. I want to say me. when, uh, uh kind of like when you said that you felt compelled to, uh, to, st to start the group to continue the conversation. That was like with me with the memes. Like I would go in there and initially uh, not meme you. I would just argue about things, and you know, I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And other people would, I, I didn't invent Kyle uh, Wagner memes. Uh, other people did. I just sort of discovered them and, and popularized them. But, um, you know, that was one of the things where I would I'd put, like, you know, quotes of things you'd said in a, in a slightly altered context or maybe similar context just just for fun mm -hmm. and just to, to get people to get the point across uh, in a larger way. So it was like I felt like there was supposed to be a minicus to ANCAP pipeline and you were a bottleneck there. You you were, I was like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's trying to make us look dumb. He's like, he's ruining things. He's straw manning us all the time. And, uh, you know, like he'll, I'll, I'll give him an argument and he'll act like the next day, like, like he never heard of it. And I just get all pissed off. And so I started making memes and yeah, it went from there. Yeah, they actually started in the old ANCAP versus ANCOM debate oh, wow. group. So it goes way back to like 2000. 13 or 2012 or something like that. I, I just, I kind of became a character in that group and I, I had invented this political spectrum when I changed the minarchism <laughs> and I just drew, drew a quick rough draft in, um, in uh, what is it called? Microsoft Paint. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it, and it came out looking very phallic <laughs> and I didn't notice. And I posted it in the group like, Hey guys, check out this thing. I, this new political spectrum I invented <laughs> and uh, it just looks like a big penis. And, uh, and, and, but it's just the most innocent moment, you know, the, the original, the original post and, uh, that, that, um, I mean, that like ended the group. I swear to God, they, they never got over that. It's they, they, everybody just could not stop laughing about it. And, um, well, I mean, the name they gave it was, uh, the scrotum spectrum and there, and even somebody created a character to, uh, to troll you with initially before me. Yeah. There is a page called uh, scrotum spectrum, which is like, uh, it's scrotum with a K. I think it was one of the guys from like Iceland or something that made that page. But, um, yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it, it really brought everybody together in that group because everybody, no matter what their ideological leanings were, could laugh at, um, you know, some, some, uh, <laughs> yeah, some some crude, uh, a crude phallic political spectrum. But I still stand by the spectrum. I think it's really good at helping people uh, conceptualize, um, you know, political theory and conceptualize the far left and and the far right as as two versions of an authoritarian uh, government. You know, because it's always so confusing. What you always see libertarians trying to push Nazis to the left. They're like Nazis are far left, and and they're not. They're far right, and then they're like, well, how can you know communists be far left and Nazis be far right when to libertarians they're so similar? And it's like if you view them as different strands of an authoritarian government of a controlling government and, and competing strands. I mean, they hate each other with a passion, probably even more than they hate libertarians. Communists hate Nazis, yeah. and um, and so well, they're they're lately the trend is to try to merge those two, like like libertarians or Nazis, and that's just so 
I feel like they could be getting a lot more done if they were just honest about things and not this whole you know, tag groups of libertarians or sociopaths and mm-hmm. white nationalists. And it's like, that's not self-evident. And, and like maybe less than a percent of people in groups, uh, you know, identify as libertarian and say, you know, racist shit like that. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's almost none. And they, they kind of leave AVM because, you know, we used to have a couple of, you know, kind of funny people in there that were like that, but you know, they got just dogpiled so often and people started making fun of them. And like, I think, a couple of them probably got doxxed. Yeah, that could be. Um, yeah, I, I've seen a meme where it's like a triangle, right? And it's like it's like uh, Nazis and communists and uh, and like libertarians are on the different points of the triangle, and they're all pointing at each other, going, "You two are the really the same." <laughs> you know, it's like libertarians are like, "You communists and Nazis are really the same," yeah. and the and the communist is saying that, and then and then the Nazi is saying that. You know what I mean? So, and and you see that in uh, political arguing, everybody likes to associate their opposition with nazis and of, of course, course and then communists like to associate or i'm sorry nazis like to associate libertarians with communists um or or at least far being leftists. it's also kind of strange because it's like the communists uh you know their people had higher body counts than the nazis you know they did yeah i mean i you know i don't who knows how accurate all those numbers are but at least in on paper the starvation if you count all the starvation that they that they yeah intentional or or they just just horrible planning just horrible central planning it's um you know understandably difficult to uh try to plan um an entire economy for billions of people and and uh and impossible as, as mises pointed out but uh for some reason they just they never get sick of trying and and you know with all the arguing we do with the far left and the far right um it's really just it's like progressivism I'll call it progressivism for lack of a better term. Like they're not trying to completely destroy the market, at least not publicly. Um, the people that are really like pushing for say government takeover of healthcare, right? They're not trying to abolish money. They're not trying to abolish businesses. They're not trying to abolish corporations, but they do want the government to give people a blank check for healthcare. Right? So it's like, that's the kind of mentality that you're really confronted with in the mainstream. And we spend so much time arguing with people that are like Bolsheviks or something like that. They're just so far out of, you know, the normal political. Their point of view is never going to be represented on like the news unless it's someone they bring on to make like to look crazy. Yeah, they're not like genuine Mark. They don't tend to be progressives don't tend to be genuine Marxists. They just want free health care and free education. They want government to pay for their their college. You know, they're Bernie bros or whatever that that's who the mainstream is. And just as libertarians, I feel like we get bogged down arguing with, uh, you know, radical Marxists and we don't spend enough time arguing with progressives. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a good goal to get some progressives into the group because I mean, I'm sure they would be horrified, but. I don't think most progressives are used to, you know, unpacking a, an idea and figuring out why they believe something or what's the logic for why they believe something. They're just not, it doesn't seem to be part of their skill set. But you know, at least the communists, you know, they've got their dialectics and they've, uh, you know, some of them have read like a lot of, a lot of stuff about the ideology they prefer. Mm-hmm. And they can at least discuss some things uh, intelligently, even if, you know, they like to throw a lot of pies, but, you know, Sometimes you can talk to those guys and they'll at least uh, be knowledgeable. You know, we've seen um, we've seen uh, some ANCAPs and some libertarians in general lean further left. And they'll typically go like they'll go like the ANCOM route, you know, where they want uh, worker ownership of the means of production or which they don't associate with uh, state ownership for some reason, right? You know, but that that's in practice how it works. Is it's it's a worker state, you know, and then it's like okay, your rulers, the central committee, the you know Politburo is 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 composed of quote unquote workers. You know, that's right. who's controlling the thing. It, it does turn into a centrally planned economy. Um, they just like to believe, I guess, that the workers are going to be more autonomous than in practice they are. You know, you look at every example of a communist country and they're all authoritarian dictatorships. And somehow these people are like, well, oh, not next time. You know what I mean? Like they just never they never believe it's going to happen to them. And it's it is a weird phenomenon when friends that you've had that have been libertarians or ANCAPs or whatever you want to call them have been, you know, that are pro market become anti market or yeah. and become anti business. So yeah. I've seen a lot of that, you know, you know, and I, I kind of like if if they've got a point at all, it's maybe that 
uh, libertarians are kind of detached from the reality of things. Like it's one thing to say, okay, I'm glad that, you know, so-and-so cut uh, a food stamp program because that's, you know, less money being sucked away, but it's still the same amount of money being sucked away. And, you know, those people are, are now going to have to figure something out, which is, I, I think a lot of people think that libertarians are heartless and some of us are. Right. I, I think it's cool how like uh, Rand Paul has said, he said, I would uh, eliminate all corporate welfare before I would uh, touch right. a dime of, uh, you know, individual and, welfare. And that's what many of us think is like, you know, we prioritize things a little differently. It's like, I'm not saying get rid of the food stamp program first, you know, first, you know, scale down or get rid of uh, Department of Defense and uh, you know, CIA uh, and maybe look at getting some people out of the prisons for, you know, that are in there for nonviolent stuff. Yeah, but they'll take the position. You still ultimately intend to cut yeah. the welfare state. And that's why that's taking bread out of poor people's mouths. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, how do you counter that? I mean, that, that is true. You do want to do that, but you also want them to be self-sufficient. You want people to be self-sufficient and not reliant on handouts. You want them to work and be productive but, members I mean, of society it, and still have a qu high quality of life. Well, and at the same time, though, you also, we have to acknowledge that there are some people that just can't take care of their, themselves, you know. There are maybe some. You do, you do uh, I think most people do want some sort of... Uh, or most libertarians want some sort of like uh, safety net, but they just want it to be voluntary. I mean, I think one one thing that I would say is that if I was going to have uh, an entity in charge of giving people, you know, free healthcare or other philanthropic things, I don't think I would want it to be the people that are, you know, bombing children and uh, you know putting people in prison, you know, for victimless crimes, things like that. I don't think that organization is the best one to handle it. Right. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement on that. Um, all right, you want to talk about uh, Sarwark versus Smith? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I don't really keep up with as much of the LP stuff, um, just because I'm, I'm not as interested in politics at the national level. Yeah, I think, well, that was, again, going back to AVM, one of my inspirations was I was like, these ANCAPs, they're telling people not to vote. And, and they're they're saying, you know, voting is violence and we shouldn't engage in politics. And I view that as just like a forfeit loss, you know, like um, I think this is a political struggle first and foremost. And if, if you don't participate in the political system, that's not like an automatic win. It's not if you don't play, you know, it, the only way to win is don't play. You know, yeah, if you've ever heard that phrase, it's, it's kind of like bragging rights. It's it's like if you ever want to see someone really against voting, like talk to an agorist. I mean, they're they're kind of like the purists uh, on the on the anarchy side that if as far as anarchy anywhere close to market anarchy but um i don't really uh, i don't see voting as violence and i really don't discourage people from voting it's like that's their thing you know mm -hmm. what you do with your time is your business um but i don't really see it as a solution certainly not it's like the farther away from where you live your, your vote means less and less yeah, certainly it has more of an impact on a local race that could be decided by, you know, a dozen votes or a few hundred votes. Um, and, and you don't have to obviously just voting. They don't always talk about this, but that's like the least, almost the least you can do. You could also be an activist where you're going door to door or you're trying to get more votes for people. Right. You can put up a yard sign and that's a step above voting. Okay. Going door to door is two steps above voting. You know, donating money, uh, donating your time to a campaign pain and these people like politics is uh it's an effort and i think that one thing is uh, that ancaps like is that they don't have to do anything because it's like <laughs> we don't have any candidates we don't have to do any effort we don't have to try Not and it's mess. like you're just gonna lose like you're gonna lose the the others the opposition is gonna win the election they're gonna implement the laws that they want they're gonna raise your taxes uh they're gonna implement they're gonna nationalize the healthcare system or they're gonna go to war the people that are in power decide what happens and you know sitting on the sidelines and saying i'm too good to vote or this whole system's bullshit so i don't have to try it doesn't do anything it doesn't accomplish anything well, if you if you wanted to even beyond voting, if you wanted to uh, get involved locally, you could. You know, I've noticed that my local county commissioners uh, they have their regular meetings, and you know everybody's welcome to come to open to the public, and they even uh, stream them. So yeah. it's like you could not only um, show up in person, but anyone watching those meetings that sees you bringing stuff up, like hey, maybe we don't need to spend money on this. Maybe we should uh, cut the millage rate or whatever on the property taxes. Yeah, you, know? you can you can put ideas into their minds. Yeah, I mean, and, you can just voice it, your opinion, and that's participation. I mean, that's better than nothing. I mean, it's better than just, you know, smugly sitting there on the Internet talking about how superior your ideology is. 
You know what I mean? But I just feel like ANCAPs don't, they don't want to do anything. Well, it's more like, I think ANCAPs are kind of uh, stuck in that abstract uh, discussion phase. And, um, and there's really not as much to do. It's like, you're going to create ANCAPistan? Like, what, uh, on, yeah. on what land? On yeah, what? Where, on what land? Where are you going to do this? And where, you know, you're going to have your private security forces and your private law companies. And it's like... You have to have a lot of people it, to do that. Yeah, you have, have a lot of people to do that. And like, I just, I think it's so unrealistic to even think that it's going to happen, but it's like, it's theory land, right? And they're just lost in this theory land. And I'm like, no one's going to follow, like, no one's going to do what ANCAP say. No one's going to be, if you have anarchy, it's like, they're like, well, the NAP will be the law. And they're like, well, a lot of people don't give two shits about the NAP. They're not, you can't expect people are going to obey that. I mean, we, we know that laws don't always solve anything, but the way I see the NAP is like, it's more about, What's going to happen when you're in some sort of dispute resolution? You're like, oh, well, why'd you shoot the guy? Well, he was running at me with a knife or a gun, and, you know, I figured that he didn't have the right to take my life, so I shot him. Yeah, but and, who do you have to even justify yourself to? You just well, say, I if, shot him. I'm a sovereign individual. I shoot whoever I want. <laughs> you don't, you as an, anar- an anarchist doesn't have to answer to anyone. I'm not trying to say we live in a society, but I am saying that if you're around other people, that there's before there were laws, there were norms. You know, it's like, uh, law, I think most laws came from norms. You know, it's like, hey, let's uh, let's not kill each other unless it's somehow justified. Yeah, you know, but you're, now you're talking about the com- community uh, imposing its collective will on an individual who shot someone in, in what the community deems is an unjustified manner. Is that still fairly considered anarchy? Well, the community is not necessarily the ones like, I guess it depends on what model of uh, dispute resolution or justice you're going to be looking for. But... Um, and and the, the one that we tend to talk about a lot, uh, it's like a, there's an arbitrator there. There's you know two people with a conflict. Uh, say one is the family of the person that got shot, and the other person is the person that did the shooting. You know, you've there's a, there's an arbitrator there to decide you know which w- what's fair and what's not. Right, but the shooter doesn't want to be there. He doesn't he doesn't have to be there. Like he's not he's I mean, not bound to anyone else's to law and he's not bound to be held accountable by anyone because well, it's anarchy. A lot, a lot of people will say like um I I think uh, Walter Block has said that you know there's also actually you know, I think it was more about Bob Murphy that said this there's going to be a lot of social consequences for that person like you may decide hey this is the guy that shot Joey I'm uh, I'm not letting him in my store and I'm not letting him rent for me I know you know but know. you talk about how like first it's of all like that's like the the tyranny of the mob and then it's like okay he just moves to another state where nobody knows him and no one like no one cares that's not a justice system just kind of arbitrarily hoping that people um, that this guy's reputation is tarnished and he's like, oh, you know, yeah, he may have raped that girl, but we don't talk to him anymore, so it's okay, <laughs> right? Like, honest, no, no, you need a justice system. You need you need some way of of holding him accountable and saying, you know, presenting evidence. He gets to show his side, and and you, you the prosecution shows their side, and then there's a decision is made, and then justice is is uh, carried out, you know. And this this guy is locked up in a prison, and and it's not voluntary. It's not like he gets a choice in the matter because he committed a crime. Well, he and shot so, somebody, so it's like yeah. it's, it's, when when you say like it's not voluntary and you're violating somebody's rights, these things are all going to happen after an act of aggression has been committed. Right, determined by like yes, but then it's no longer voluntary. So you'll still call yourself voluntarist, but it's like well, if the you're guy always, if the guy does something that we disagreed with or that we think should be against the law, uh, then you know his will is is overruled by well, someone. And the way I see it, it's just being it's accountability for your actions. You know, and right now we said, like, we've got the state for that, but it's like the state is horrible at it. You know, most people don't look at, at, at the state's things. Like, you look at the nightly news, it's just a lot of injustice after injustice. Yeah, it, it's not it's not perfect, but it, it's something. It, it is a justice system. Oh, exactly. it's, a, it, it's a system of law and law enforcement. And that's what I get at. Like, just look at any sport. You have rules and you have referees that enforce those rules. But you can walk away from the field anytime. Right, but you a society, a, like a country, is much bigger than a field. There's no way to, like, I mean, you can, like... I guess leave the country and then but then you're subject to some other country's laws like laws cover the entire country and it's not a sport it's real life so but it, it's a very similar kind of thing to a sport 
in that it's like, hey, while you while you're on this playing field, you're gonna play by these rules, and that's how that's how our country operates. You know what I mean? It's like this is the society you live in. This is the country you live in. You go to Mexico, you don't expect to, you know, not obey their laws. Like they have their own laws, so and you have to follow them while you're there. So well, sort of, but not really. When I was uh, I went to Acapulco. That was the first trip uh, we made for the film, and uh, you know. People down there were telling us it's like there's there's areas where the police don't go and and actually those areas were kind of dangerous. That's where the John Galt got shot, you know. But yeah, I mean, um, they they're like the police really won't hassle you about stuff. Like they're not going to enforce every law. It's like it's just that if you're causing a problem, I mean that's because maybe because that's a tourist town and they don't want to arrest too many tourists because that's just bad for business. Maybe I I don't know. I mean I. You know, I've heard people talk about like the lawless areas of Mexico, <laughs> you know, places where the drug gangs actually are so powerful that, you know, they, they become the law or they well, become like the authority. A good example of failures of the state is like, mm-hmm. you know, the state certainly can't contain the cartels because the cartels have so much money that they can buy off any politician they want. Yeah, which is insane that it's gotten to that point. And uh, I would point to that as a as a bad thing. You know, I've seen like pictures of uh, heads, right? The cartel beheaded like eight people that crossed them or whatever. You know, their their form of justice is extremely is extremely brutal. And um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think that's a good thing. I think, but I, it was created, I believe, by the fact that the government prohibited drugs and created right. this avenue for these people to enrich themselves. And the richest and most brutal are, are, have become so powerful that they actually dominate the state, which it's just crazy that, that that's become the situation. Well, I mean, if you look at the U.S., it's like I mean, Mexico is one of those things where um, it's really easy to say, like, well, you know, it's just this, this desert area and, that you know, folks aren't as uh, civilized or whatever in quotes, you know, down there, uh, or whatever the stereotypes are. But, you know. The, the gangs of our country, you know, like defense companies and other large corporations, they pretty much own our political system. And they don't have we don't have beheadings or you know, people, you know, getting find caves full of dozens of bodies. Yeah. Uh, See, I disagree with that. And a lot of libertarians think that our government's owned by corporations or largely. and I, I know that they have a lot of power. They have a lot of sway. But the politi- the politicians are still holding the purse strings they're still they still have power and i feel like this is a misunderstanding of how political power works like i don't think uh donald trump is a puppet i think that he 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 actually has a political power and political authority and when he speaks um people conduct themselves as if that authority is real and they really believe that he has authority and it's the belief that that means that that makes it so he does like congressmen and senators these people actually have the power that they appear to have on paper i don't think that you know they're beholden to corporations i mean they may be influenced by them and they may maybe if a guy say like dutch Rupersberger, for example gets a lot of political contributions from the military industrial complex and it sure, certainly uh, persuades or sways his vote on different things and spending and, and war but he's still in that seat of power he he still holds the the reins i i judge it like um if you look at all the legislation and you and you see like how many lobbyists were former uh government former large corporation types you know they're there to make money some other way I don't think lobbyists would exist if they didn't, you know, have so much influence on the government. They because certainly they, have influence, but I'm saying I mean, a that huge the, amount. they the, write legislation. The hierarchy is is still governments on the top, and then well, technically these like people are, you know, I see it se- as seek offense or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I see it as like the government is the glove, and uh, the larger interest, whether it be corporations or if you want to call it the deep state or something, you know, is the hand inside. And I interesting. I yeah, I mean, I I feel like there's there's always something that's it's moving it. It's like um, I don't think many politicians seem to have as many ideas of their own. It's like they're in a a place of privilege where they can, you know, they can basically charge for favors, you know. And there's things that we don't get to see, like we don't get to see, uh, you know, how a politician's kid's school got paid for or how they got that uh, vacation in you know some foreign country or are, are you implying that some of that federal reserve money is not going to appropriate <laughs> places is that what you're yes. suggesting yeah talk about talk about potential for corruption you know you have this entity that you know has a legally granted monopoly on the money supply yeah. and is very very secretive and uh, you know 
I don't know why we can't seem to make that a more popularized issue. I mean, Ron, people, people don't like the like, they can't talk about the economy with much intelligence. It's like it's just one of those things that someone talks about it briefly and goes away, and they don't have to think about it. Well, I'll tell you, it just it just occurred to me. I think the 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 way to make it a popular issue is to to make it juicy, make it dramatic, and to talk about corruption, right? If you talk about the Fed uh, buying politicians off or or giving money to in, in inappropriate places, and and maybe it's doing this, you know, then you make it kind of a a, a more exciting issue than monetary policy. You say monetary policy and people's eyes glaze over, right? But if you make it about like Jeff um, Jackson, Andrew Jackson, who successfully killed the Fed um, of his day, made it a juicy, scandalous, you're a den of vipers and thieves. I mean, he made it, you know, something that would get people, people fired up. You want to turn the Fed into a soap opera? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I think that's a good strategy, and uh, so hopefully I mean, somebody I've, does that. I've heard other libertarians say, like, I think Dave Smith said the other day in one of his podcasts that, um, you know, without the Fed, it would be really difficult, if not impossible, for us to have a military empire like we do. Oh, no doubt about it, because we burn through the tax receipts, like, I don't know, six months into the year, we'll say, and then the, the rest of the year is all borrowing, and the Fed is the entity that's buying all that debt. You know, they sell it to the they sell it to Goldman Sachs, and then Goldman Sachs sells it to the Fed. So it's a little bit of a and takes a cut. So it's a little bit of an indirect route, but ultimately, all that money that's funding the government's deficit is coming from the Fed. Well, maybe we need to make a movie about it. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there are there any Fed whistleblowers? Have there ever been? I mean, <laughs> I, they the probably got their brains blown out if they were. <laughs> so I'm just saying. I mean, uh, anyway, are you saying the Fed's part of the deep state? Uh, I I don't I also don't like the term deep state. I mean, it's just the state, and it had the fact that it has an enormous bureaucracy, and all these different bureaus and agencies have their own agendas and their own entrenched individuals. Um, we say deep state as if there's a, some distinctive entity. It's all part of the uh, the U.S. government, you know. Well, I mean, the the influence behind the scenes of how things get done. Yeah, I, I feel like there's something to that. I mean, it's, it's like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a documentary about lobbyism. I'm sure someone's done one. But, um, you know, whenever I hear like a, a lobbyist, like uh, Pete Raymond, uh, one of my co-producers, he's got a podcast called Free Man Beyond the Wall. He's had uh, like a, a former lobbyist on um, before on a couple of episodes, and he talks about all the things that, that go on there. And it's just... Um, I'm sure it's corrupt, but it's like, you know, you're talking about the government of an enormous country that's been around for a long time, that's had over 200 years to grow and grow and grow. And, yeah, it's a sprawling bureaucracy. But is it is there really some separate entity that's the deep state that we can, you know, put I, I our fingers the, around? I don't think of the deep state as like an entity, like in the sense of like, like a bond villain type of thing. I think of like the, it's just a term that's used to describe like a, a multitude of various influences. It, it's like you're describing an effect, you know, like that the outsiders are able to, to purchase influence or, or maybe even use coercion, depending on what type of deep state theory you're working with, hmm. you know, but I, I think it's all, it's all on the budget though. Right. I mean, it's all these agencies that they're budgeted and they exist. Like, yeah. I mean, but I mean, when somebody wants to uh, to get a piece of legislation and that tightens up their position economically or for their cartel, you know, that's like they're the ones who write it. And then some congressman is like, think about it this way. How many legislative efforts have come from grassroots in the U.S.? I mean, some, but very, you few. know, but it's like, so where's it coming from? Are these politicians yeah. just like, hey, we care so much. We're going to think of some more laws to help you out. Well, it's funny. I always thought of Obamacare as being uh, legislation that was written by insurance companies, you know, and, and legislate. <laughs> and, and yet and yet you talk to like Democrats and they're like, oh, it's for the people. It was for us, you know, and I'm like, well, they watch the news. It, that, so they think that. Yeah, I US. know Obama. I mean, some but, baby, but you know, like. But it's this like, was so not written for your benefit. Like, this was hey, written for so much some insurance company to get. Well, it's uh, funny. I always thought of Obamacare as being legislation that was written by insurance companies, you know, and and yet and yet you talk to like Democrats and they're like, oh, it's for the people. It was for us, you know. And I'm like, well, they watch the news, so they think that. Oh, terrible, terrible crime against humanity. Yeah, I was upset. So we're in this group. There's a new group in on Facebook called Pretend 
pretending to be status. A group where and, we pretend to be status. Yeah, a group where we pretend to be status, and it's a lot of libertarians. It, it grew very quickly. Yeah. With some uh, some some uh, celebritarians in there and everything, some big names in there, and yeah, it's it, pretty funny. Everybody kind of like they it, use it's it. It's probably as the a, funniest thing on Facebook right now. It's it's for venting, I think, because like it's kind of it's actually unnerving for me because there's a ton of anarchists in there, and I'll be scrolling through my feed. And seeing like an anarchist and not looking at the group name and seeing the and seeing the um you know some status post is like ah and then you realize oh okay it's that group you know <laughs> yeah I mean it I you know I got invited and I was like uh you know I I am technically a statist and that I support having a state so so it's like you don't even have to pretend I don't even have to pretend <laughs> but you know I I don't uh, agree with most of the posts in there they're made from like a extreme authoritarian standpoint as a joke yeah, right they're all it's all joking it's all the state you know? but it's I I remember seeing like somebody that had a picture of their kids and like all the kids are wearing that like thin blue line police shirt <laughs> you know what I mean I remember like that. the American flag with the right. thin blue line like there's just been some really quality posts in, in there blue line family photo so i don't know matt tag matt always tags me in there <laughs> matt always ta matt tags me all over the place yeah, like, matt, you participate in that group a lot uh yeah yeah i, I do are you a filthy status or you just pretending to be one no I, i'd say i'm romantically an anarchist okay. um you know and i say romantically and as far as i mean just realistically it's what guides you realistically these discussions don't go much farther than say like the anarchist versus menarchist to debate group sure. you know they were libertarians you know are the only people that talk about this shit are in you real saying life. that kyle's got us like on a farm where we just sort of talk to each other that's that was the purpose of avm it was uh, i mean no i mean <laughs> kyle just explained it and and you know i believe everything that he was saying you know right. kyle's true you know, I've I've known Kyle long enough to know that he's true. He is. You know, and I, I've even said before, the first time Kyle was on the podcast, I, I feel like it was not long after he just came under the under um, his own personal realization that you know, I guess he realized in his head that anarchy could never work. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah, he, he was pretty troubled. He was kind of scaring me a little bit. You know, it was I don't it was, it was weird. Like the the first time he was on the podcast. But um, then we reconnected uh, some time later, and uh, you know he's like awesome to have on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, Matt. Matt, yeah, very entertaining. You know, I would say Matt is uh, leans toward or is an anarchist or leans toward anarchy, but he also likes Gary Johnson, right? So he's yeah. got like a, a a pragmatism about him where he's like, hey, this J Gary Johnson's pretty genuine. Seems like a pretty cool dude. Like he's not so bogged down by dogma or ideology that he will um, not entertain the idea of a, of the LP or political candidates or anything like that. He's not. Um, he's not my dream candidate, but at yeah. the same time, I feel like, and I feel like I know. You know, he's just like miles above anybody that the Republicans and the Democrats are going to ever give us. You know, right. which is kind of depressing, but yeah. <laughs> you're not i'm trying to think of the right word i want to say belligerent you're not like a belligerent anarchist or you're not somebody that's well, not just, anymore not as much um it's not it's belligerent's not the right word but not somebody that's so extreme about it that they want to kill everybody who doesn't agree with them like matt's like he's laid back about it and some of that comes from maturity i mean he's a little bit older and um you know He's learned. He 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 compromises a little bit. He's like, yeah, that guy's pretty cool. He's all right. I don't agree with him a hundred percent, but like, well, I mean, I, I feel like if you're being a sane person, you have to compromise a little bit because you know, like right. it or not, this is like the the constructs of the society that you live in. We live mm -hmm. in a society. Yeah, I mean, it, it's real, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, but there uh, are ancaps in their twenties who are like so just extreme about it that they yeah. will lose their minds if you say like i sent my kid to public school i mean you know and they're like oh they want to they want to ban you from the movement or something like that i mean honestly i feel like a lot of those issues are with people in their early 20s it has more to do with their age than it does with their but, understanding of politics because like look at the alt-right bunch of all, almost all people in their 20s so it's like it, you I just figured, you know, they would grow out of it and they probably will in a few years mm -hmm. if they get better jobs and maybe get married or something. But it's like, you know, the, the younger libertarians in, in ANCAPs and, you know, maybe maybe I don't scold enough um, ANCAPs because there are plenty in AVM that uh, 
don't represent us very well or, or at least make us look like uh like you know the, the stereotype that some a lot of libertarians are just shits you know just like mean spirited people that are like yeah fuck you stay out of my pocket you know yeah but um well, it's, yeah. it's radicalism, and it's all—it's mostly men too. I, I would point that out. Like, right. I remember the first time that like girls, a girl joined AVM, and I was like shocked. It never occurred <laughs> to me that any women would want to be in my Facebook group, um, or would be interested in the topic. But yeah, radical political ideology tends to appeal to uh, young men, young angry uh, men, young angry men, exactly, and. Um, you know, I, 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 I guess I was a young, angry man. I, I would say during the Ron Paul era, I was in my 20s, and um, I really was a, I was a world changer. I was like, you know, Ron's going to win if I just knock on enough doors. And every Saturday, I'm knocking on doors and talking to these Republicans, and they're telling me, you know, I like Ron, but I don't like his foreign policy. I mean, that, they might have paired it. They could have just parroted that every single one. But right. just to show you how ideal, I, idealistic I was, I was just like, you know, I... I I really believed in it. You know, I was like, we got a shot here. And, um, I think, I think 10 years later, um, you know, or almost 10 years, I, I definitely have matured and, and come to realize that it's not that easy to convert people's, uh, long held political beliefs to something no. else. Even ANCAPs, I thought that would be much easier to persuade ANCAPs that we needed a state, oh. and it's proven to be very difficult. Yeah. I don't know that any, you know, only a handful maybe converted away from it. I mean, the thing is, not many anarchists, not many ANCAPs went back to minarchism. Like, the way I mm -hmm. see it is... Um, <sighs> Minarchism is a stop on the way to anarchy. You know, it's like I feel like a good test for minarchists is okay, suppose we had a minarchist society, you know, and then um, for a few years, and then some people said, hey, you know, let's just get rid of the government altogether and have anarchy. Would you be, would, you know, would you fight them to, to preserve your minarchy? You know, that's like the, the status test. Well, I think that you would because, you know, you're trying to abolish property laws and you're trying to abolish. Not really. We're, we have like, you know, you have like a different idea for where those laws are going to come from, but it doesn't really make sense. So um, it's like if you have the legal structure for capitalism in place and if your government is, uh, well, I mean, is small okay, and, okay, resp so, and responsible okay. and doing a good job, why would you go to war with it? Kyle, okay, but I think what Chris is kind of saying, like, what if you dwindled down the state somehow? I don't see this happening because government never shrinks. It but does what, what shrink. If you, what if you, no, it doesn't. But what if you dwindled down the state to, like, 95%, right? Mm -hmm. it, you, you just cut down 95% of it, right? And then what if we're at that point, right? And then, uh, like, Chris Kofer is able to show you ways that we could uh, just perform that last 5% better without the state. Yeah, I, I don't think that's, it, I don't think it works I'm like saying, that. Like, like I mean, what if? Like let's, you, let's say it wasn't something that's formatted over the entire country. Let's say there's little pockets where some people have anarchy experiments, and you start seeing things on the news about, hey, these people are really happy, and they're prosperous, and, you know, things are much more efficient. Uh, without having to go through, uh, you know, this um, you know, monopoly on violence and arbitration. And yeah, like I, I think that you, you guys have misconceptions about what anarchy would be like, and it's envisioned as a civilized thing and not as just political conflict with the, with the government or with whatever faction wants to be in charge, which is what I think anarchy is. So, you know, I see it being leading to conflict with the government. Um, you know, a private group or organization or faction uh, gets a militia like the like the brown shirts or whatever, and and actually has confrontations with the police. So I it, it that's where you get like these countries like in Syria or wherever Libya you've had you have faction violence from different groups that want to control the land, and I don't see it being a oh we don't need police anymore because things are so civilized here and our private security has everything under control so we no longer need laws or law enforcement. I, I just think that's a mistake. Well, I don't think that the police really serve the function that most people think they do. It's like we know that Supreme Court even decided that they're not obligated to protect you you know so it's like well what do they do well they they had to make that decision because I mean, if police are obligated to protect you anytime there's a crime committed you could you could sue the police well you could say you guys f were failed to do your duty and i got well, stabbed that, that, or i got robbed and it's like that's not their fault well, not they really. didn't it's you know that that court case actually came out from i believe uh, i want to say it was from something um Initially, uh, it was in the 70s, I think, some women who had been like uh, held captive, you know, in their apartments and they called the police and the police showed up and, um, you know, they knocked on the door and looked in there 
and you know didn't think anything was wrong and they left or i'm not sure about all the details but it's like you know the women kept getting uh, tortured or whatever for a few more hours and yeah eventually they decided well you know the police weren't really obligated and now it's like a, a thing where it's a one-way obligation it's in no way like a contract at all you know, yeah it's like you imagine if you if you hired a company to do something and they consistently not only they failed to do it but uh you know they roughed you up you know charged you extra money stole your property yeah killed, they've killed a few people shot kyle, your dog kyle verizon would not get away with this shit right but yeah, um, I, I, yeah so right now i think we're uh we've just approached an hour so i think we're we're about uh out of time here man all right all right so oh, yeah good uh, it's been a very yeah. good special episode I delving down the on. rabbit hole of statism with kyle wagner yet again yep yeah. So uh, I'd like to remind everybody we have the Patreon now. Um, we do an after hours program. Uh, not tonight, though, but uh, we do an after hours program. If you want to gain access to that, um, you can hit us up on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash punk rock libertarians, and contribute a minimum of $1 per month. And you can help keep the electricity on down here in Anarchy Basement. We also have t shirts at libertariancountry.com. And uh, we've got a, a lot of cool swag over there. If you type in the code PRL or the code PRL podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount. Until next time, live free or die. And I know I'm a slave. We can make the break. Break the power. Break the power. Status is the break. The blood that is shed. Drinking the flags and the tax bombs and bread Voices by a few at the expense of the many Soldiers and gods in a death machine You can't justify killing by economic gain For God, country, and democracy You can put freedom in death point in a fine land You support the troops that bring them home I believe the jokes will do the best for you And I believe that we have the power Not aggression principle, the violence of the state becomes absolute!